You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. I had to add something that I haven't even told y'all about because this irritates the shit out of me. First off, I love board gaming. I love it. I love it when they do a themed after something I love board game. So they announced there's going to be one about the the movie The Thing by John Carpenter, right? And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. But Mondo is releasing it in a limited edition for a lot of money. And which means that nobody who even buys the fucking thing is going to open and play. <laughs> They're just going to put it on their collector shelf, and that'll be it. And that pisses me off. Aww. Like, why don't you do a specialty edition with better art, and then release a general edition that anybody can buy? I mean, why make collector stuff like that? I don't understand Hashtag that. Hashtag nerd problems. Yeah. Uh, Tim Doyle, who used to work for Mondo, and now he has his own company here in town, he, he does lots of similar type stuff. But people always get mad at him, like, well, I thought this was going to be a limited edition. It's like, where did it say that this was a limited edition that I wasn't going to keep making prints? I make prints for people who like art and want to put art up in their house, not for people who want to roll it up and put it in a vacuum-sealed tube and (laughs) let it collect dust so your grandchildren can can make money off of it. Sorry. Yeah, that's the way (laughs) I feel about all my toys. Like, I just want, I still, I'll buy stuff, but I'll rip it open. I I mean, like, that's why I bought it. I want to use it. I want to have it. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Exactly. I'm 50-50. It depends. Oh, really? Yeah, it depends. Depends on what it is? Yeah, like, I have an unopened um, David Hasselhoff Sharknado 4 action figure that (laughs) is still in original packaging. But, you know, yeah. There's nothing that surprised me about that. (laughs) How much does it look like Hasselhoff? Uh, It looks exactly like Hasselhoff. Wow. It's a pretty awesome one, too. But the packaging is just as, is almost as hilarious as the actual figure itself. So that's why I kept kept it in its original packaging. Oh. Well, wow. yeah, we have our, our friend, and, and he he collects all the little toys and everything, and he got us the Wendigo Hannibal, um, what are those called? The little... The Funko. Little, like Funko. The, yeah, the, the Funko Pop. Figures. And he, he knew us exactly, because he goes, I got y'all too. One to take out of the box and one to keep <laughs> in the box. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's See, I, I get leaving it in the box when it's an actual antique. When it's brand new, it's like, who has the patience to shit, you know, to sit on that thing for, you know... 30 years. Right, I mean, open it up. Have a blast. Me, I do. I have the patience. <laughs> no. Chris, you have, I have ton, patience. a ton of stuff out of the box over here. So what's your, what's your take on well, it? Well, some of the stuff out of the box was given to me that way. Like, I have a friend of mine who owns a comic book collectible store, and every once in a while, he'll, like, show up with a big box of stuff and say, when we're having a party or something, say, everybody take what you want. But it's all out of the box already. It's not. When's that guy coming that over? Yeah, I, I, want, I, want, I want to go to that. He party. has his own podcast now, so I'm sure they all. Get the, <laughs> Can I go be on his stuff. podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll make you guys cookies or something. I'll bring some. I do have some stuff that's still in the box. It's all. It's all in another room, but it is on display. So just, yeah, that's part yeah. of it. Well, so was your hope that we could get a copy of that game and play around? Yeah, live. I just talking shit about Mondo on this podcast has probably 
significantly <laughs> reduce the chances. Yeah, I guess of that. Not Does anyone not get any, any free stuff from Mondo? Probably not. Sorry, no. Mondo. I totally disagree with everything. <laughs> I love Mondo. I'm super happy about your limited edition. <laughs> I do. I even have a Mondo poster framed on my wall. That Cabin of the Woods thing is a Mondo. So you know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> they do do good work. And Funko. I just don't yeah. like limited edition art. That's all. Yeah, if you're going to do prints right. of something, do prints. If you want to do a like the a, a signed series that that's the limited edition, great. But then make the print not signed available for other people to, to buy. So if we divided your audience immediately with this topic, some people <laughs> are super all about limited edition. Maybe so. Okay. I'm, I'm all about limited editions if I get that limited if you're the edition. One, yeah, that's that's super great. Fan of the best. Yeah. yeah. That's the way everything There's only like 500 of these in yeah. existence. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to the actual topics here for Deliberation Doom, which is horror movies. We always start this off by reviewing a recent film we've seen. We haven't had the best luck of late <laughs> with the films we've been getting these oh VOD copies of. And I don't think today's entry is any exception. That movie would be Stakeland 2, or depending on where you are, Stakelander. Stakelander. It's the Stakelandiest. <laughs> it is indeed the Stakelandiest. I like Phil's, like, sort of, your summary of it that you had <laughs> on Facebook the other day. Oh, You're yeah. Like, okay, wait, what? <laughs> oh, we'll get into the plot points in a minute, but uh, I guess you want to describe it? No, or? you go ahead, Phil. Oh, boy. You take this one. Okay. Um, so uh, it kind of... It's one of those weird sequels that I feel you really, really need to watch the first one to fully grasp what's mm-hmm. happening, which to me is definitely a big flaw in making a sequel. Is it should be able to stand on its own, and this one really, really, really depends highly that you've seen the first one to really grasp what's going on in the backstory between Mr. and Martin and the other characters. Um, it takes place in a world where vampires are rampant, where human beings worship vampires, and they have a female vampire queen who's controlling them. And her mission is pretty much to uh, make men worship them, find Mister, who's kind of. Am I allowed to get spoilers in this thing or no? I mean, to some extent. To some extent. So, yeah, so anyway, she's looking for people to kill and they're trying to stop them. And it's like Mad Max meets. Um, Vampires. This is like the third really go. did try and push that Mad Max a For little sure. bit. Like, and, and, props, and props to having a very, you could tell, a limited budget in what they were trying to accomplish, which is sure. very difficult. And I feel like Larry Festin projects <laughs> always kind of push that. They sure. always try to do the most with as little possible. And in respect to that, and I think it looked good as far as uh, you know, a lot of the shots when it was well produced. It looked nice. Uh, some of the action was cool. And, uh, you know, it, it was... Uh, yeah, I can move on from there. So let's keep talking. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, first off, this is like with the way the the Stakeland ended. I like Stakeland for what it's worth. A lot of people came out of it at the festival. I saw it at like, wasn't that amazing? I was like, well, no, okay. but I had fun with it. Yeah, how does everybody fall on the first one? So you're, I, I had fun with it, but I don't think it's a classic. Yeah, I liked it, but I mean, it had its flaws. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I liked it. But it's also with that caveat where it's like, I liked it because of this. Because you see a low-budget movie have the balls to make a big world epidemic film. And that's why it gets the respect it does. Not because, like, um, what was the uh, the sequel we did on the, uh, uh, um, oh dear God, on the very first one we were doing, uh, Cloverfield Lane. Uh, yeah. That's a sequel that works. Yeah. Or it takes it's a little element of it. Uh, yeah, it was a spinoff. And I think that's, you know, what I'm, what I look at in sequels. Like, is it worth making? Is it going to be better or stand along with it in this one? A little different. Yeah, I like the first yeah. one because of the mythology that it yeah. was building, and it was just different enough. 
and had just enough of appealing main character that I was like, okay, I'm kind of with this, I'm having fun with it. But then it kind of fucked it up at the very end with like a massive mythology breaking thing where it's like, wait, how come this one vampire can talk and isn't rabid and everything? Yeah, I'm, that's one of the problems. I because I rewatched Stakeland before watching this one just because I wanted to refresh my memory, and I was like, so he he accepted the vampires, right? He gave himself willingly. That's what he said, and that's why all of a sudden he's a thinking vampire, where, makes, where no the sense. rest of them were, like, yeah. just shuffling zombies. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're a berserker. But that was my biggest problem with know. the sequels. It kind of builds upon that in a way that feels like, yeah, we fucked that up, but we're not going to own it. We're just going to go deeper. We're just going to go deeper into the lie and create a world where there are a lot more not-rabid vampires in it and a vampire queen, and for no apparent reason... And that that Christian like clan in the Middle Ages group that worships vampires, yeah. you know, that didn't worship vampires in the first one, really. No, they were the ones that actually unleashed the vampire apocalypse yeah. upon the world. They doubled down on all that stuff. I don't here. know. And I was confused. Just the more that they're in this movie, the sillier and the less I like it. But in, there are some sequences that I think are genuinely work in this. Like, there's a scene where uh, the the young main character from the first film, who now has gotten a lot older, this takes place like ten years later. And, Same actor. Uh, the, you know, yeah. he, he retires happily with a wife and has a kid in the first one at the end of it. And, and this one, with the flashbacks, we see, yeah, they are way dead. Yeah. And he is that now kind of like Mr. Wandering I thought the intro around. was really well done. But, yeah, the intro was well done. The intro was cool. I was That's watching it. Like, uh, the vampires needed weapons. I think, well, I have to say, I think uh, I may I may fall in the minority here then because I liked both movies. In uh, each one had its own strength. I I, I had not watched Stakeland. I had a, I had heard good things about it, but I tried it and I thought eh, it, was a little, it didn't grab me. And I went back and watched it for uh, to watch the sequel, and uh, I really liked it. Um, I'm a fan of the director who also made another movie called Cold in July. The great. And he did the Happen Leonard TV yeah, show. Mickle, which, yeah, yeah Mickle's great. Um, I thought he. He was going for sort of a, a Malik Badlands thing mm-hmm. with it, which I really liked. Although I did find Stakeland, um, it did wander a little bit. It was a little episodic. Uh, it was, like you said, a little... You could tell they were straining their budget, but he had a real vision for the movie, and it, it felt like a movie. He had a really, moodiness to it. He, yeah. had a, he had an atmosphere, which the, the sequel didn't really have right. to me. That's had, exactly what I energy. felt like. And it, it was weird. I feel like the strengths of... The sequel are the weaknesses of the first, and the weaknesses of the first are strengths of the sequel. So yeah. I found the second one had a stronger narrative, and I liked it. So I liked that more. Um, but uh, it, it lacked in sort of the dreamy, uh, skillful direction that he sort of brought to it. Um, overall, I, both of them, I mean, I think like we're, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a fan of horror movies. I would and hope so. Vampire movies. <laughs> right. So I would say this kind of movie is a little up your alley. Uh, both of them are. Stakeland's probably stronger, although I guess this the sequel does feel like a VOD direct. To, it feels yeah. a little it feels like they have a little less money. They it's like the thirty days of night sequels and stuff like that. Like it feels like a smaller like follow up. But there were things I liked about it. I don't know. I, Russ, didn't, even know there, was, I didn't even know there were 30 Days of Night sequels. There, no. You really? 30 Days of Noon? Yeah. Yeah, I think Niles even had something to do with the, yeah, the second one or whatever, mm-hmm. which is why I bothered to watch it at all, unfortunately. But you... Yeah, wandering off. Uh, I, I enjoyed both Stakeland movies, probably more than everybody else, maybe, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
I hadn't watched uh, Stakeland 1, and in fact, I was going to conduct an experiment where I just watched the sequel and didn't watch the original, and then Rob said, oh, you know, the original's done by Jim Mickle, and, you know, that's, I think, I guess, sort of the beginning of his career, really. So that was the reason I watched it, and I was pretty impressed with it, and uh, I... The second one I thought was much more, yeah, it was much more conventional, and um, it lacked, obviously, the direction, as we've talked about. Um, That said, it it was entertaining, and I felt like, although it was not the sequel probably anybody was asking for, I don't think anybody was (laughs) saying, like, we need that Stakeline sequel, I did enjoy those characters in that world enough that I was interested to come back to it, and I do think... um, the lead actor, who's also the writer, uh, what's his name, Nick Demichi, yeah. is it? Yeah, who plays Mister. I think he's, uh, while not a perfect writer, I think he has a lot of ideas. He's really good with dialogue, um, and and so for me, that that is certainly enough to to to, to get into the movie. And they have cool casting too. Like their characters Agreed. really felt like they were, you know, not like a bunch of pretty people. It was yeah. like I'm not saying they were ugly, but they had they had a very unique look about they them. Had, and it was a yeah. cool life that they and, had. And the always welcome Stephen Williams, yeah, uh, showed up in this movie, which yeah, I was I think excited it to see. Better as a horror movie when it wants to be a horror movie, and not as good when it wants to be an action movie. Because there are several times in this one that wasn't so much in the first one where they're like, oh, this is a badass post-apocalyptic action movie, like when. Mister is tied to a cross and just breaks off of it. You know, yeah. it's like it's like the rock breaking his like his cast, like his arm. Um, you know, you're just like, wait a minute, what? And he's like killing vampires yeah. with the ends well, of the I, cross. I think the main difference is going to come down to the director, where Mickle understood what you could get away with on low dollars. This one's like, screw it, let's make an action movie. And to me, like the only big problem I had was a major plot issue, which I'm going to give away, because it's a... But when you find out why the Queen is chasing them, that, to me, really took it, me out of the movie, yeah, as it's a big... That was one of the It's a big problem. It's clunky. Exactly. It's, well, it's like, you can't assume that somebody can know something by just assuming. So, <laughs> that's all I can say. I don't want to give away a plot point. Watch it for but yourself. it's definitely, and like... It's an issue. It's, it's an issue. a story issue. Yeah. When you think about issue it. issue with, with it, both films is... Stop leaving people to the vampires. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Stop leaving people to die all a vampire because obviously that's not working well for you. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's definitely a weakness in the movie. Guys, let's remember that. In yeah, the in the future, apocalypse. just, kill, the, just kill the fuckers. Don't Making leave them for the vampires. Yeah. Um, I, but I do think yeah, it came down to the director. I mean, Mickle is uh, is a really talented director. He's going to get a lot of work and. Um, that's evident from the stuff he's made since Stakeland. Even I don't know if you guys remember or noticed this in the in the in Stakeland. There's that amazing single shot where they're at the dance. Mm-hmm. Did you guys notice that? Mm-hmm. It's all one take where they're they're at this ref, like uh, camp and they and they they have like a, a dance and the camera follows three or four characters and then it leads into an attack and there's nothing like that in Stakeland yeah. too. No. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think that a lot of the cliche and. Uh, Problems that the first one sort of seemed to attempt to avoid. This one, you know, delved yeah, headlong into. Just went for it. I mean, the Summers Brothers are pretty lenient on B movies, just because we're excited to see <laughs> B movies. So I think we probably cut this one a little bit more slack than maybe like other people would be more critical. Like it works or it doesn't. So you know, your mileage may vary. You're like the Slacklander. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I wear it proudly. <laughs> Bob must have slack. Okay. 
Uh, sorry, that is a very deep cut that no one here understands but me, but that's okay. <laughs> We're going to move on to our main topic this week, which is the concept and horror of the final girl, or the final girl phenomenon, if you will. This is certain, certainly something that wasn't birthed, I wouldn't say was birthed like in the black and white era of horror, really. I'd say it wasn't until the 70s this it's really became a It's definitely a product of the slasher film. Mm-hmm. Yes, of the evolution of the slasher film, which one could argue... Uh, at least in America, started with the movie Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Some so people argue Psycho. I, Actually, I think it was Texas Chainsaw. Psycho, well... And Black Christmas, they came out the same year. Texas yeah, Chainsaw is one of those ones that people are like, but is it a last final girl movie? There's mm-hmm. a lot of discussion about... I, I debate that as well. What yeah. the particulars are that make something a final girl movie or a, or just a survivor movie, which is two different things. Right. Believe me, when you start getting into the nitty-gritty... Like, I look up final girl on TV tropes. Oh, jeez. And it's like... But there, here's the 80 other things that these things are often mistaken for. I was like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Well, so we should define in the broadest terms well, what it is we're kind of talking Carol about. Carol Clover, yeah. who actually coined the term final girl, she says that um, in, the final girl can be rescued. Like, that's one of two endings. There's either the final girl that gets rescued or the final girl that takes a stand and takes things in her own hands. So... It's up to you. I it guess it's up to, to, to debate. Yeah. yeah, but the idea being is that she's not, she is never just the damsel in distress in a movie. She may be the last one, to, she is the last one to survive, but she's not purely a damsel in distress. She, t- to some fully. degree. And that certain factors there allow are certain her to survive, or, or the reason she survives, either by the narrative or thematically. The argument being that she ends up, she begins feminine and becomes masculinized through phallic appropriation, which That's essentially. Right means she yep. eventually grabs a big phallic object like a, a, a harpoon gun or an axe and kills the, the mm. bad guy with it, using his own dick against him, right. if you will, becoming more masculine. In fact, even often, the final girls are given androgynous names. Yeah, yep. to, that was a fascinating that's, that's a big uh, thing. catch. Uh, the characteristics is that she's not sexual, she's intelligent, resourceful, and boyish. Her sexual reluctance sets her apart from other girls and allies herself with the boys. Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote. And yet there's all sorts of movies that people unquestionably go, no, this is a final girl movie, but yeah, it breaks a lot of those rules. Yeah, too, absolutely. You know? There are ones that are like the evolution of the final girl movie. Like I would say a good example of that is Alien to Aliens, mm-hmm. where you that is that, that evolution of that character turning from the final girl in the first movie to turning towards like almost a completely different category of final girl in the second one the mater- fully maternalized mm-hmm. final girl who's like okay I'm in charge now <laughs> I am the man fuck you <laughs> well even John Carpenter said that I mean the final girl and the killer that's what they have in, com- in, in, in uh, what common with each other is that they're both super sexually repressed so oh, you yeah. know that's that's why they're just you know, he actually, that was one of the things he said about Laurie Strode in Halloween was every time she stabs Michael Myers, that's her sexual frustration. Wow. Interesting. That's one of those things you start getting into stuff where I'm not sure if they're looking deeper than is really there. Yeah, exactly. Just like, I well, I mean, right? <laughs> I, yeah. Some of that. <laughs> but, I mean, there's definitely something to be said about the core argument. Is the final girl a sexist or a feminist phenomenon? Because there's pretty strong yeah, arguments, arguments for both, for both. Yeah. which are actually kind of fascinating the more mm. you get into them. The idea that, like, that um, the reason she's boyish but she has to be a woman is because 
audiences can't identify with like a guy who's really that frightened, which is why yeah. guys in slasher films usually get killed real fast, but girls usually get tortured and see it coming. Like they're hiding and running and screaming because the guys are just like, okay, they're just body count. Mm-hmm. The women are the one people are, are looking to them to do it. Plus the moment the killer comes mm-hmm. on the scene, the perspective starts changing to the killer's perspective. Yeah. It, it really you know, does where the change. audience avatar suddenly becomes the man going to kill. The, and that's the how you characters. come to care about the final girl, because in the beginning of the slasher film, it's from the point of view of, of the killer. And so you're like, yeah, go kill everybody. But at that midway point, it changes points of view to the final girl, and then you start to identify with her, and then you start to root for her against the the killer, ultimately. Yeah, it's it's weird how many different things there are in this. The more I read about it, the more I was like, there's some really interesting stuff in terms of the phenomenon. I mean, why slasher films, which are inextricably tied with the final girl phenomenon, mm-hmm. why that is such a profound effect on audiences. Why has it stuck so closely to that formula for so many films? Because it works, clearly. But why does it work? I actually like what Clover said about that. She said that the slasher film gives us a clearer picture of current sexual attitudes than the legitimate products of better studios. Because I guess slasher films, I don't know, they're they're more sexual in nature? Yeah, but I I think it's, it's like twofold on that, where it's not necessarily like an inherent, like, None of these directors are looking at the instructions on how to write these movies. So it actually comes down to being a little bit of like what's going on inside them as well as a human being. Like how they view women, how they view horror, how they view what's scary, and how they view what's going to scare somebody. And so it's not like it's a blueprint laid out where they're like, you know what? we got to check all these boxes. Got to make sure she uses this phallic thing to stab. And so it's really interesting when you think about psychology because it's actually inside the minds of people that are creating this, this product. And how they view, you know, what's scary. Yeah. And um, I even saw in, in some of uh, Clover's notes, uh, she said most of the time the uh, women come out of like a womb type thing, like an alien. She's crawling mm-hmm. through ooze in a womb and yeah. coming out. And people are hiding in closets before they come out and confront. This was like this womb that they have to like, you know, incubate inside of before they can become well, Leslie masculine. Vernon talks about that in the movie Behind the Mask. There's a scene when he's deciphering that, the whole movie. end of the, the, the chase for the final girl that she always has to go through some sort of thin corridor. In this case, it was an apple orchard, like a very claustrophobic apple yeah. orchard because that represents her leaving the womb. Or the tunnel, the underground tunnel, wow. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with Stretch where she's in this like underground oh, tunnel yeah. and she merges into the light. Yeah. So when you think about it, it's weird that they all have these the similarities, but you have to, yeah, but you I'm have to think game. too though. It's like they, these guys didn't all like call each other up and like go, hey. hey, how do we make this movie all similar? It's It really comes down to psychology, which is fascinating. And I think that while maybe I think the earliest examples of the Final Girl maybe have were rooted in feminism, and then I think movies like Friday the Thirteenth took that away, and they were more indeed well, misogynist. But I think that as the like, especially as we got into the '90s and the 2000s, I think people became so self-aware of this thing that yeah. it became feminist again. Yeah. That it became more like, okay, now let's everyone's aware of this. Let's take a look at it and talk about it and even laugh about it a little. You know, firmly putting feminism back into the hands of that protagonist. Um, interesting thing I read that I didn't, well, had never thought about was the 90s were the point where it made, for the first time, in slasher films, the heroes started identifying with authority figures instead of being the ones 
like uh, we're against authority figures. The authority figures are always totally incompetent in the eighties and seventies. They were useless if they were even there at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always dying. Look at Halloween. There's literally no parents anywhere in that fucking neighborhood. <laughs> like, on Halloween no, night, on Halloween night, not a single adult anywhere. Although everyone in the movie is probably like thirty, to be fair, playing teenagers, <laughs> but still. <laughs> but in the nineties, it started being like, like look at the Scream films, where it's like suddenly t- one of the main characters is a police officer yep. who's surviving, you know? There's a lot, the bulk of the films of the Final Girl phenomenon, suddenly that was a thing. And then in the 2000s, that was when it all went totally meta. Yeah, every time we're meta. seeing it, it's all, it's a l- film's literally about openly discussing that trope. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the 90s, I felt like that's when the Final Girl became really self-aware. You know what I mean? Where, yeah. like, for example, you know, Sydney, she's actively fighting back. She's actively actively taking precautions in the Scream films. And she had sex. Yeah, yeah. and she has sex, which is and, only seen right. as a bad thing by the killer. Interesting. Right after she has sex. <laughs> this is one way to do it. Right after Sydney has sex in Scream, the next scene is her brushing her hair in front of the mirror. Much like... Halloween. The, in Halloween, except the difference being that girl gets killed right yeah. afterwards. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, huh, that had to be intentional. And For sure. Sydney is almost aware of the role she needs to play mm-hmm. at this point. She's she's so aware of I the think final like, girl trope. Just seeing that movie like the first time, seeing Scream in the theater and the idea that the characters had seen the same movies I had and they were aware of what was happening was sort of a mind-blowing idea and um, being aware of something like, I'm trying to think when I became aware of something like Final Girl... I want to say was, it was Scream as a was concept a around then. I feel like it, it might have been a Scream s- sequel to me, where it really pointed out like to survive the sequel you must. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, he's right. Mm-hmm. These are tropes. I, I mean, it was a sequel for sure so, for me. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I, Russ and I had a big debate about it last night about authorial intent versus just pure text. Like, you know, is this something that's intended? Like, you know, can we guess at what the author intended and then say, you know, they're they're making it's like Carpenter. Are they making a comment on? Um, you know, sexuality and, and feminism and, and women, is that is that a subtext or is it just pure text? We can just say, we don't know what they meant. This stuff is in these movies. It's obviously a pattern. And Russ and I debated for a while about what that meant for Final Girl. I don't think we really came to a strong conclusion because Russ and I, it was, it was a lot of debating that you don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Had you been drinking? Yeah. You guys were drinking, weren't you? <laughs> Assume we've been drinking if we've had some kind of discussion. But uh, um, and and uh, I think that lends itself to, to what you're saying, which is, you know, these directors, uh, what do they bring this? Are they, are they saying, this is a trope to horror movies? Like, this is something I need to have to make it a successful horror movie? Or is it something that they want to comment on? Yeah. And, and are they just checking off a genre requirement uh, right. when they put it in yeah, I, I don't think it's either, in all honesty. I think it's a phenomenon that exists inside these guys. They're, they're all very similar human beings. Like, when you look at their stories and how they're t- I really, really do think that. I mean, I almost feel like when you watch their movies, their final girls are all people maybe that in high school or whatnot, they aspired to date that type of human being. That was what they were attracted to, that type of human being. The they didn't, Yeah, they didn't want the, the blonde-haired cheerleader, you know, with the big breasts, whatever. They didn't want just somebody else over here that was like maybe the wallflower. That's what they were attracted to. And I think when you, when you add the psychology in there, there's way more to it than just a trope. It's, a psych, it's definitely psychological, for sure. Well, I mean, uh, are you saying that on the... the, the uh, 
sort of the first wave of oh yeah the for sure guys the first who are not aware yes. of this yeah. trope yeah because because you got there's no way that these guys in like the span of three years were all like in cahoots to make the same movie but they also just re- did reflects the mores of the time the, those qualities that that exactly. main character yeah. has about how attractive they might be to a to the audience like in the 70s and 80s it was more like yes we want the virginal you know intellectual like honest honest stay true to our friends but then by the time we get to Sydney Prescott we're like who the hell wants to date that girl <laughs> it's like I want the girl to have sex she's but she's serious not but, issues. but she's not a huge hussy either <laughs> you know you don't want to date the girl who's dating the captain of the football team and probably dated the rest so, of the football well, I team I want to say that it probably changed there was a big switch of you know the original final girl to like the more conventional final girl and I want to say that that change happened with Nightmare on Elm Street and Nancy because that's the first time we have our final girl actually like set traps like she you know what I mean she's not just fighting for her life and waiting for something else to happen yeah, she never she makes she never happen. hides waiting yeah. for something and then happens to like like have good enough instincts to get out of it like like when, when you think about Laurie Strode in Halloween yeah she's a survivor and she's, she's very intelligent but away. she's running then, away yeah. whereas Nancy is the first character ever to actively chase yep. say fuck this yeah <laughs> it's like obviously the only way to deal with this situation but is Fairness, it was in her dreams, yeah. and Loomis wasn't in her dreams. And uh, yeah, he could actually hunt a real life thing. So, in all fairness, that's actually a story thing in Nightmare, where well, only she could confront him. No one could get in her dream. The record, did you know where uh, the, what why the character Donald Pleasant's character was called Sam Loomis? No. no, he's named after a character from Psycho as a tribute to Hitchcock. Oh, There's also another character I forget which one, which is named after a character from Rear Window in there as well. So. Nerd. Well, there you go. I know, right? Um, those are, those are well, good movies. Even later yeah. in Hellraiser, which um, we have Kirsty, which is my personal favorite final girl. She does the same thing though, or she does something similar because she actually tricks. Um, the bad guys who are actually the real monsters of the film, and she actually kind of tr- tricks them and 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 makes a deal with Penhead. You know what I mean? Like she opens the box and Penhead comes for her, and she's like, "Oh no, you don't want me. You know, you want my my evil stepmother and uncle." And and so she actually makes a deal with the devil. Although and- it would have been funny if Penhead's like, "Nah, nah I'll take you instead." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, she actually takes it into her own hands as well. So I, I, just looking at our list, and I don't I don't have it right in front of me, but pretty much. All the movies we're talking about are male directors. Yeah. Are they not? Yeah. And probably oh, yeah. all male screenwriters. And, and, but that may have been, like, I think that's not necessarily endemic to slasher cinema. That's just Hollywood. I mean, yeah, cinema. but I'm just saying, is there a female slasher film that has, uh, is there a female directed slasher film that has a final girl? Uh, I want to say that's The really Descent was, wasn't no, it? No, no, that's no, Neil Marshall. Marshall. Neil Marshall, you're right. Yeah. Okay. What was the, I feel like there's one I'm not thinking of here. I don't think I so. Sadly, there's only one and we can't think of it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know offhand, to be honest. I'm sure there's one out there. Maybe it just doesn't stand out. Right. Right, know. but that's what I'm saying. Like, is we there, is, is this a genre that's purely male dominated as far as directors? Well, it has been traditionally. That's, I mean, just that's just movies, obviously. To change. But there's that new, uh, anthology that's coming out on VOD. Like, um, I think yeah. it's out XX, now. Yeah. XX. That's all female just came out. directors. But the, uh, yeah, but I'm just, but I don't think that's like a final movie. girl it's probably a, type project. It probably is at least one of them in there. Yeah. What's interesting though is I read an article not too long ago that just pretty much said the slasher film is dead except for in parody or in like remake. And I don't agree with that. I, I don't either. Everybody loves the death now. Everybody's like, Daddy that's over. But if you make Halloween, a good movie, true. a good movie like Halloween, it doesn't matter. If you take it, it, it's like, it's the same way I still remember when 
Pulp Fiction came out and everybody's like, well, the conventional crime movie is done. I mean, Tarantino is like taking it down and the next year was Heat. Yeah. You know, it's like if you make a straight up smart movie, some, I mean, if you, if you play, if you, if you do a final girl movie straight, but it's good, if it's smart with a good killer and, you know, great scares. They just did one that was very popular, Don't Breathe. Don't breathe. It's totally a Final Great Girl point. movie, and it oh, did yeah, extremely did well. Yeah, yeah. No, that wasn't even on my list, um, but it was good. Uh, she just but that was like, def- it wasn't really slasher. That was Home Invasion. Yeah, yeah but I would say it was, it, it, well, it wasn't slasher, but it was still Final Girl phenomenon. Yeah. Before. I don't think Final Girl's necessary. Nece- I mean, I wouldn't call Nightmare on Elm Street straight up a slasher film. That's true. You know? Uh, Alien's definitely not either. Alien's, Alien's definitely, definitely not, not either. Right. Would, he doesn't have a knife. Really. <laughs> yeah. um, Patience brought up something I don't know if y- y'all caught. The, the new remake of the original Halloween, which is not a remake. It's a sequel to Halloween 2. Yeah. It's supposed to take place after Halloween 2. Yes. It's being made, made by, by the Danny team by, uh, who did Eastbound and Down. Yeah. Uh, but it's, Green. But it's, yeah. Supposed to, it's not going to be a, a comedy. Yeah, they said, no, we, like, they're both like, Halloween's like our favorite movie of all time and we want to go back to that simplicity and that purity of those, the, of that first film and find out how to make that character scary. And if only David Gordon Green was making awesome movies. Yeah. <laughs> Eastbound and Down was pretty good, though. He directed, but it was really Jody Hill and the other guys that were sort of more responsible for uh, that. I think the problem is that's happening now, though, is that there's only so many storylines you can go with that genre. Like, you know, yeah, the slasher films? Yeah, true. with the slasher films. Genre. And, like, where Scream better. really pointed out all the flaws in it and you loved it for that, It's now it's kind of like up to somebody else to go, how do we reinvent this? So hopefully, you know, Well, I thought that, that um, the recent, the final girls, which is super meta, but I thought that was a really fun take on but the it's trope. A but yeah, it's it, a is, it is meta. But but it, is, it was different. It though. plays with your understanding of, of what's going on. Even, even like where we've had a whole series of these very, very meta films that started with the Scream films, went on with, say, uh, Behind the Mask, you know, Feast, the movie Feast yeah, also which was, is also where it literally titled a character heroin. Yeah, heroin and heroin <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you watch it evolve and get more and more uh, on the surface, on the nose. Like Cabin in the Woods is super on the nose about oh, yeah. what it is. Where even having characters in the film who are making all this happening and causing characters to f- with a gas to fulfill the needs of characters in a slasher film. Like right. the one character is like, I feel like I'm getting dumber. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But uh, I think some fresh takes on it is like, for example, You're Next. That's a great example of like right. the new or like the new final girl like she's got survival training she immediately goes into survivor mode she and, does not mess around and well I think that's a movie that's aware of tropes and and it and counts subtext. on its audience being aware of it right but I don't think I think it plays it straight yeah I don't think I don't I mean I, if it makes a comment it's implicit it's not it's not some kind of meta postmodern comment it's not it. yeah it's it's more like the audience knows that what would normally happen in the situation in this type of movie we don't need to spell it out for them and 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 poke it in their eye, it's self-evident, and that's right. kind of the plot of the whole movie is in and of itself that idea that, hey, this final girl, it, these guys never, She's ever, ever should have been. like Ripley was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, how about It Follows was another great example of sort of a refreshing take, like final girl has to straight up knowingly kill innocent people in order to survive. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was a follows. big fan of that one, and, and and not to mention has to knowingly have sex yeah, to survive. Right? Like I mean, it was having sex that got her in trouble in the first place, but then she has to keep having. She has to become like a hussy just to live, like for presumably forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really like what the director said. He said, "Final girl has to open herself up to danger through sex. Sex is the only way to free herself from that danger." Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Right. I, that's interesting. That movie yeah. did a good job. 
Being aware of the trope and then playing, and then playing yeah, with right? it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty sharp. Uh, yeah. I was a fan of that one. Yeah, uh, I mean, all these things are, are definitely, these later films we're talking about now are definitely taking, either, either directly playing with the idea right up front uh, as satire, or they are so aware of the audience's knowledge of it that they're subverting basic tropes of it, where it's not even necessary to point out that's the point itself, See, is that it's subverting those tropes maybe for a type of experience. Maybe this is just me, but I really do feel like uh, a lot of this stems from the fact that it just comes down to the basic thing that a lot of audiences wouldn't accept a man being completely that yeah, terrified. And so all these movies in the same... You know, all these writers were all men. All the directors were all men, for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there's some females in there. But they were like, you know what? We can't have a man running around screaming and being scared and finally well, deciding to fight. Or, and so you have yeah. all these things happening. But they have the end. That's why the characters are also so androgynous, too, androgynous because, because they have to both be feminine enough where it's we're acceptable to them screaming and being uh, frightened, but masculine enough so that we are convinced they could take away the killer's so masculinity they, yeah, and so come can. out on top. So, so where I was going with this, is you've got this you know device which is definitely going to be used to create more terror because you can actually experience what the character is experiencing and you have all these artists creating the same thing because they want to experience that same heightened terror and so now we're just linking together and making a phenomenon out of it maybe because you never I mean you know it's not like everyone was in cahoots and we're all just really right. digging in there to find what is the connection in this and I think the connection is that relating to a woman experiencing terror would be more frightening than relating to a man being an audience member and I mean that might be something that Absolutely. is there. Well, I think that's a key part. That's to definitely it for a sure. key part. Like yeah. it's not like somebody like they all got together and go, let's make our own, you know, uh, dogma and have mm-hmm. a, a an art that's in and of itself its own art form. It's definitely a phenomenon that's happened through what will be more scary as an audience member to watch. Yeah, the re- it keeps happening because it works. Or yes, the more, the more relatable. Because I mean, if if the main character in It Follows was a dude, everyone would hate that. One hundred percent. The guy you know, just fucking everyone would be really, like, really "This is the point. most misogynistic yeah. piece of shit I've ever seen in my 100%. life." One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Even though presumably there's a character in there somewhere who Well yeah, the guy that figure it that out gives as well. Her yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. The, the STD. Yeah, who everyone you do uh, you hate right from the get go only to realize that's exactly who she's everyone's become like that dude's such a douchebag, <laughs> but when she does it it's okay. Well and I think it's important for guys have it coming. Well, <laughs> so with the outside of maybe I'm thinking maybe the the second alien movie, most of the Enemies are male. Yeah, that's right? the first I mean, I one where it's like, well, female and female. Well, Friday the Thirteenth. But, there's, is, but there, I mean, most of the drone aliens are male, I would guess, or they're at least positive yeah. as being male. But uh, I guess it's just like it's something you know, you have to kind of point out. Really, with the dynamic is that not only is is always going to be a girl, but it's always going to be a male killer. It's always going to be like a masculine enemy because because audiences will accept that. Yeah, because it's a thing of strength where they're like, oh, I want a man to kill her. That way, they got no shot. Is there, and they want, is they want there that a female stronger. driven slasher? Oh, yeah. Friday the 13th was it, Jason's mom. Was it the first But would you say, I mean, not until the end, right? Was a swim fan. That was a girl. <laughs> swim fan. That was a girl. Was that final girl movie? Thanks for bringing swim fan. <laughs> <laughs> Call it a day. <laughs> so this whole conversation is taking a terrible <laughs> Uh, uh, it was yeah. a girl, though. I mean, I think that's one of the what? beauties of Alien, yeah, yeah, is that yeah. it's so conscious of the fact that you it's, got Ellen Ripley, who is essentially commanding this group of men, even Vasquez, who let's face, who is like very, like very, very yeah, yeah. I couldn't be any more masculine. Yeah. And then Vasquez the queen versus the no, have you? <laughs> yeah. And then the queen, who's gets commanding all her drones versus each other, mm-hmm. and ultimately it's a fight. Like, give me my baby. That's my baby. You don't right. get to take my baby. Um, <laughs> it's a maternal fight. Very, you know? very, very we, we, we can talk about descent a little bit maybe 
maybe because there was uh, some animosity between the two main female characters and that I even though the, the but she fucked her man the monster yeah but even though the monster <laughs> is arguably an it we don't really know if the monsters we just we don't have a male. sexuality yeah, yeah but I mean there was a lot going on between like them battling each other for survival well, is, is that a- is that a uh, I remember you you debated um, in our Facebook group whether or not that was a um, an actual final like a girl final girl movie, movie. Yeah. yeah which I thought was kind of an interesting like, uh, to me I was like oh well yeah but but it's all females and she's the only she's the sole survivor but does she in some way um do you, why did you think that might not be a, a good Final Just Girl example? Just because I didn't really... I mean, because I, d- I define the Final Girl as being in a slasher film. So, okay. the Aliens, Descent, I don't know, or even It Follows. I did, are they really, like, slasher films? I don't know. They're not slasher know? films, but I think uh, but the Final they're, Girl they're thing Final can Girl, be... Final Girl, I mean, they have the trope, or is it so this, I, I realize... So, wait, are you as, saying then, to you, personally, the Final Girl phenomenon is only endemic to... The, the slasher it was created genre. out of the slasher genre, and so that's kind of... I'm sort of a purist. Okay. <laughs> it well, that's definitely the one where it's going to be the strongest to argue, yeah. where it doesn't get squishy around the edges about yeah. what it is. Or And actually, Russ, Russ brought up a movie yesterday, and I was like, ask the group, what do they They're think? They're probably going to agree with you, but... <laughs> is is Shelley Duvall in The Shining a final girl? Oh, Wow. I don't know because wow. I don't think there's enough of a group there. That's I what like I think. She's the like, only girl. Like, that was like, my that's argument. That's what makes her the final girl. <laughs> but she, but she in many ways fulfills sort of the requirements. Mm. She she rises to the occasion. Although she's although brunette. it's Danny ultimately who is the real like survivor, the one who causes them to survive in that film. Yeah. It's Danny who's the the one who is definitely the. And she really is just kind of scared the whole time. Yeah, I mean, she is annoying. No, she locks him in the closet. She is so annoying. And that was her go-to. Move. I mean, but that's proactivity. I mean, she's you're in the womb. <laughs> Despite lots of stuff we, we can agree I, that the final girl doesn't have to be slasher, I do feel like it does have to have a body count. There it has does have to have a multiple people dying for it to That's what really I said work. is it can't for be me, the only there, girl. Okay, but. for me, it has to be a transformative experience. There okay. has to be some sort of change that takes place. You know, she starts out and... Well, by, and, that, by that notion, then I would say Shelley Duvall does, does she, transform. She does. Are she we talking Popeye? <laughs> Just all of, not, I don't, I well, in some, all of, in some cases, scary. that is a horror film. It yeah. Right? <laughs> it's horrible. It's a horrible. <laughs> what, 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 hey, I had a good soundtrack though. <laughs> that the Robin by that, by that. Yeah. You know that set still exists in Malta. One. I do know that. Yeah. yeah, my parents when they took pictures, like, hey, we're on the Popeye. They go, what the fuck is that? Hey, it's and an I had to look it up and see what it's it was. It's an Altman film in Malta, man. <laughs> they don't got a lot going on in Malta. Yeah. Like, we'll keep the set. Yeah. So, <laughs> but but by that, but okay, so transformative is is another element that you think is. Yeah, I think that's an important one of the most important elements that she that she starts out like. Um, you know, with the exception of Housebound, where she starts out being a little shit. Um, you know, she starts out being like a meeker character, and she finds her strength through being killed. Trying, you know, you want an extremely literal example? Look at the remake of The Evil Dead. Yeah. Where you have a character who is definitely kind of weak, who's very weak. She's like a drug addict. They're all like, she can barely stand up. You know, she can't stand up for herself. She has to become possessed by ultimate evil <laughs> in order to come out the other side and be strong enough to defeat her own drug addiction. Yeah. <laughs> there has to be a journey. You, okay. you know what else, though? Like, I remember being a kid, and if, like, the main character wasn't a girl, I wasn't going to watch it. 
I wanted to watch an attractive girl the whole time when I was a little kid watching a horror movie. Mm. And so it's definitely marketing, too. Slasher films are known for their nudity. Yeah, like, when I was a kid, like, I mean, if there was not going to be nudity in there, or, I mean, like, I I wasn't too into it. How many slasher, like, movies are there with final boys? What you're saying is your parents Uh, left you alone a lot. Oh, yeah, they did. Of course they did. I learned a lot about it. That explains everything. (laughs) So how many final boy slasher movies are there? That's a good point. I can't, Um, you know, I don't know offhand. And name a good one. Uh, yeah. Does Sleepaway Camp count? Uh, I, was wondering that, I was wondering when someone was going to bring Sleepaway up Sleepaway Camp. camp. I was count. wondering that. I mean, here it is. How does that fit into this? No, no. She, she, she gender identifies as a woman, so it counts as, as a final girl, I suppose. <laughs> Even though she is the killer. And is, that, well. is that what our future looks like Spoiler in the slasher films? <laughs> I mean, if Carol Clover was right and, you know, our sexual, like... You know, our current sexual identity is reflected in the horror film. What what does that make for the future of the final person? You know, are we going to have you know transgender final people Probably. or asexual final people or you yeah. know? I think the question Cats? is, what's Cats. next for slasher films? What, really are, are we going to get any? <laughs> right. No, I mean, I think we're we we have been watching that happen to some extent. Like I said, I brought up uh, uh, maybe we'll don't see breathe miles. as one, yeah. and mm-hmm. we still see more often than not by a sizable margin, even if it's not uh, anywhere near a traditional. Uh, final girl type, you know, filling all those things. The final character is usually a woman in horror films. I mean, we saw it in, uh, uh, what was the name of this, the sequel this year, Ouija 2, mm-hmm. you know, happened that way. It happened in uh, Lights Out. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's just like almost every horror movie you can think of that comes out, the final character is a female that survives. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get two. Or like everyone dies, which is my favorite. Lights Out. Or when everyone dies. Which I'm fine with as long as it's not a final girl movie. I feel like it's a betrayal if they really, if you're well, really I mean, rooting that much for that. Yeah, but that's a comedy itself aware of that ending. Plus, we don't know. They you don't know if they the apocalypse. Oh, come on. They live. Well, technically, the entire Earth is destroyed. Yeah. So Everyone But maybe that shelter was okay. <laughs> maybe that just that little part. Yeah. yeah. They can, you know, I mean, when them. you think about it in those terms in Cabin in the Woods, technically, they are the bad guys. That's two survivors because they killed everyone yeah, on the planet. But like, just to make so a point. selfish that yeah, they wanted to survive. In Stakelander, we have a final guy. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's true. It's kind of fat. <laughs> yeah, are vampire movies. Uh, Final That'll be a movies? discussion for a future podcast. Yeah, but I don't know. Are they? I mean, I guess you, I think they're you, vampire movies. You know what you are? I mean, yeah, but do they have Final Girls? <laughs> yes, vampire they are. films are just uh, the, Lost, yes. the Lost Boys. Yeah. All right, we're going. I was going to say, yeah. like, you know, Star and Lost Boys, she survives. But it does seem like the primary survivor in vampire movies are usually a guy, and maybe that's just modeled after the Bram Stoker. Zombies, but. Vampires, any sort of monster feature, it's well, with the exception of Cloverfield. But, but supernatural films like Ghost, it's almost always a woman. Almost mm. always. That's definitely... So maybe it's a matter of where the fear comes from. It's based on what the gender there is. There you go. Hmm. That's something to think hmm. about. Maybe a new study. <laughs> Phil making deep thoughts right now. Well, let's take a look just real quick uh, at some of the the best examples of this phenomenon. People call out when, of course, the, like I started with the podcast saying Black Christmas, which I had never seen, and boy, was Russell and Rob getting on me. Yeah. Like, really? How have you never seen I Black Christmas? I have also never seen what? Black Christmas. And I apologize. But one thing I liked about it was Final Girl wants to have an abortion. Yeah, yeah, intra- and she's still like oddly, even though a lot of people count this as one of the very first Final Girl films, if not the first, 
she's so modern compared to the ones that followed over the next yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Olivia uh, Hussey playing the lead role here. Uh, also, good performers all through this Pure movie. Pure Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Margot Kidder? Margot Kidder is fantastic. Uh, and I forget the, the, the guy's name who plays the dad who and comes looking for his daughter. As well, the, the, uh, the, the nerdy one who was a big comedian. She's like on a new sitcom right oh, now. Um, she was on Andrew like, Martin. Andrew Martin, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's John Saxon? John, well, John Saxon, you know, he's yeah. like, bomb.com. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, if you haven't seen Black Christmas, that was actually my choice for uh, my favorite Christmas movie. And, um, it's a nice. great one, though. It is, uh, it's super great. It is a tremendous film directed by Bob Clark, who made another really famous Christmas movie called A Christmas Story. And, uh, and this is very similar. I don't care anymore. Yeah, Did you know who was doing pre-production on a real Black Christmas sequel when he died in a car accident? No. Uh, why you gotta tell me that, With, man? A, with Olivia Hussey coming back as the house mother in a new sorority. Uh, I don't um, expertly awesome. Someone di- needs to make that, just saying. I mean, dude is a... He is an expert director, and I have to say... Um, there's some phone calls in this movie that the killer makes, and uh, they really? may be some of the scariest phone calls I've agree. ever heard like in a movie. Street, yeah, like genuinely terrifying. Yeah. I've never seen anything go- like three or four voices all at the same time. It really, it's a super modern. And speaking of something that's very important to um, Final Girl is uh, POV. One of the first movies to really start with a POV of the killer going up the side of that, climbing up the side of the house, going inside. Most American films. Some of the Giallo yeah. movies had already okay, yeah, done this at yeah. this point. Um, but a really terrific flick, and... Um, a great final girl movie. Uh, I would say, like, I think the entire slasher genre owes is owed completely to Gia, Italian giallo. Like, right. all of that started three mm. or four years beforehand. They started maybe. to figure that out. You know, like toward the very end of the sixties, very beginning of the seventies, some of those giallo films are just starting to do. And I would the black glove. I would totally the, buy Chris's argument if he'd seen Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, but shut, he has not shut. seen Bird with the Crystal Plumage. I've seen it in your face. <laughs> I'll I was going to say that on the phone call stuff in here, yeah, I remember actually Christmas. working on a movie and uh, watching Black Christmas and hearing the phone call stuff and recording it on my phone and sending it to my sound guys go, oh. make something make, that make sounds this, this fucking it's scary. It's so please. scary. It's, it's so... It makes creepy. the hair on the back of your neck uh-huh. stand up. I had, yeah, I had... When a, he's uh, screaming like a little kid in there, I'm like, what the fuck noise is that? I had a girlfriend who I showed this to and she was genuinely angry afterwards that we <laughs> watched something that scary. <laughs> what a great ending. And and I, like, I, and yeah, that's what I was going to say. I love the ending because it's so ambiguous. Yeah, You, know, you very, really yeah. don't know... Yeah, you literally never have any idea at the end. No clue. What were those phone calls all about? Yeah, anyway, I mean, like, was the killer what? supernatural? Was it her boyfriend? Well, yeah. never but you know what blows my mind, though, is the movie still stands up today. Whereas yeah. a lot of other genres that make movies, like crime films especially, they just don't fucking stand up. So This still actually can watch it today, and it's yeah. still good. And making a remake of it makes no sense. If you're going to make it, make a sequel, prequel, a spinoff, a standalone, whatever. Uh, don't remake uh, it. This, yeah, the, the remake of this is an F. So yeah. avoid yeah. at all costs. Yeah. And I also want to point yeah. out, on the extras on the Black Christmas DVD, um, I believe it's Margot Kidder even says in this, in this amazing thing that... Um, I think this speaks to the power of something like Final Girl and, and why it's like a primary thing that we respond to. She said, you know, when I was making movies in the 70s, I started in post-production. I was working in editing. I was working with all these guys who wanted to change cinema. And she said um, it was really, uh, you know, they were all going to make these arty films with her. And she goes, but 30 years later, the movie you came to interview me about is this movie. And I think it's because something like Black Christmas holds up in a yeah. way that, like, kind of, you know, maybe a slow, arty movie from the 70s doesn't. Where this well, feels- it speaks to a lot of why we go to the movies. Right. Like, what do we love about movies? Honestly, and- like I said, this was the Thanks first time I saw this, and 
there was nothing in it that didn't work for me. Yeah. I was oh, all no. like, this is still scary. There's nothing that you go, ha ha, look at that. You know. Yeah, great, great humor, great yeah. character. It's not like smart decisions. Martin yeah. Skinner and Superman sure. where he pulls his thing off his chest and throws it at the guy which just like dissolves and that was it. And you were like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work then. It, it sure doesn't work now. Exactly. And I think, I want to say, I think Black Christmas is like a tight 90 minutes too. It's like a short film. Yeah. You know what I like? I think it, it was like an 89 or yeah. something. But not to go, you know, longer on it, but like they didn't make excuses for their budget. It's not like Black Christmas had $10 million to make their movie. No, I remember... Um, and they, they made it work in their story. And they, they and that blows my mind when you watch them. It make, doesn't make excuses. It works. Oh, yeah. And what she, Hussie said, Bob Clark was super prepared. And she said, the house is way smaller than it looks in the movie. It, yeah, he just knew really. how to shoot it. Because yeah. it, looks, it looks like a large... Yeah, it's a huge house. And a lot of long takes, too. And uh, then, of course, after Black Christmas, we have... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was probably one of my first introductions to horror. I don't, I don't even know that that's a movie you can be. That was like one of your first. Like you yeah. as a movie, even now, like when I show it's it to people, it is, it, it is, is an intense terrifying. movie, and yet all but bloodless. Strangely enough, yep. There's well, almost no for, blood like, in this that, movie. That grandpa scene with the hammer yeah, yeah, yeah. that mm. creeps me the hell out. Every still. it goes on. I and know on. it's they do so not uncomfortable to watch that uh, that yeah. scene. But this is one of those ones. There's, uh, you know, you won't see a discussion on Final Girl without bringing up Texas Chainsaw Massacre because Sally Hardesty, who briefly appeared in, I think, the third one, I think, because uh, they say on screen at one point, oh, she died in a mental hospital. But then the one after, they actually they're at a mental hospital and it's the actress and they're wheeling her in a wheelchair through oh, like wow. a kind of maybe we're going to do something with this later, which they never did. But yeah. <laughs> but either way, the fact that like she's just surviving by running and screaming and like it's not yeah. really an example of like I think she's not decisions. it's not a particularly transformative yeah well I mean she's yeah well they just don't have a starting point for her she's just kind of one of the gang and then she's the one that seems to survive I think that's a really good point I don't really think that it was super transformative. I mean, I don't think she really does battle. I mean, it's it's certainly more of a... She's, and she's rescued. She's more of a victim, for sure. Where I would argue in the remake, which I actually will say I thought was pretty damn good. Texas Chainsaw Texas, or Texas Chainsaw Massacre? The, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So the remake. The, the first one, remake. The first remake, not the one they did afterwards. It was like the beginning or whatever. With Jessica Biel. The one with Jessica Biel. Yeah. That yeah. character actually is a final girl character. Yeah. Right, I would agree she's with that. She's more of a final girl. Actually, sure. I actually think that's a solid horror film. Whoa! So, and then I think I'll make that argument. <clears throat> like, I, I would say possibly one of the greatest trailers in movie history yeah. is that trailer, that um, Polaroid film yeah. sound over and over. And the great, the great shots, the great. Yeah. Um, so you can just watch that. You only need to watch. That. Yeah, the trailer uh, the movie is good. Although the, watch person, the original one of those that reminded me of it's that scene in summer school when they come off the roller coaster where the guy like goes and pukes and they're like two thumbs up because <laughs> the guy is sitting so next to me puked during the movie. <laughs> And I was like, That's yeah, right. 100%. <laughs> and then, of course, we have OG Final Girl Lori in Halloween. Yeah, oh, yeah. Really? Oh, sorry, I had an interesting little nugget, yeah, nugget that Chris would like. So, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre There you go. The Viggo, Viggo Mortensen's Viggo Morten, big yeah. like, start. So, my buddy Jeff Burr directed that one, but the script itself wasn't agreed upon until it was done in Joe Lansdale's basement in Nacogdoches, Texas. No shit. No Joe Lansdale is who Jim Mickle now, pretty much. I mean, all his yeah. movies now are all Joe Lansdale movies. Yeah. So, kind of cool. Like, That's they're in Nacogdoches. Cool. And, right. Huh. Wait, did uh, Lansdale work on the scripts? No. 
Okay. Okay. They were just hanging out there drinking. I know, like, because David uh, J. Shao, uh, I think this is how he says he who worked on, like, The Crow and stuff. I know he worked yeah. on Leatherface. Yeah, That's yeah really David cool. J. Shao, yeah. yeah. Another go. fun fact there's an unreleased Texas Chainsaw starring Matthew McConaughey and <laughs> Renee <laughs> Zellweger. <laughs> It did no way! It's out. It's it's out. Did it finally get released. Yeah, no, it's, it just came out in the nineties. Yeah. They were it's fighting just, so hard, but to they get really that one uh, it didn't get it. Yeah. Didn't really. Renee the next generation. Renee Zellweger has yeah. been denying for years that she was in it, despite what? the fact she's credited oh, and yeah. you can see her in it. You can she's always like, "No, I don't remember being no, in that." Don't do it. Uh, everybody in town worked on that movie. Right? Pretty much everyone in that. That's pure. It is. You haven't seen that one then. I'm trying to remember if if Renee Zellweger is the final girl. I don't. I yeah, don't she think, is. I, don't I think, think she is. I don't. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs loved that movie and called it the best horror movie of the night. Well, <laughs> Joe Bob Briggs <laughs> lives in Texas, and yeah, he probably he got, may have been he biased. Probably he worked probably on the um, film. Like- it invested is, money. It is not a film that I love. It is not no. a film I would recommend. Yeah. In fact, of the original run, non-remake Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, I'd say the only other one that was really worth watching was the second one, but not in the same way that you enjoy the first one. At all. The yeah. second one is almost a straight up satire, which when you talk to the director, he's like, yeah, it was supposed to be. I didn't want to make a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. I thought enough said with the first one. Not- so I was like, we're just going to make it ridiculous and like have fun. And no one got at all that he was supposed to be making. It's I mean, the poster spoof. is a Breakfast Club parody. Yeah. If that ought to tell you. Yeah. It's yeah. like there's a scene where he, there's a dick measuring contest between Dennis Hopper's chainsaw and Leatherface's chainsaw. It's yeah. clearly what yeah. it is. It's a terrible movie. I, I, <laughs> No, I don't recommend that one. The, the amount of cocaine that was clearly ingested <laughs> while they were so making that right. movie. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't argue it is a good movie, but I would argue it's worth seeing just because of how utterly absurd it is. And it's just a, it's an oddball entry in that whole series. I don't there, think, there's a lot of continuity between that one and the and I don't know one. that any movie has ever replicated what Chainsaw does. No. I, I, don't I think it's, a, it's weird that the, the, even the other movies can't I don't even know it. precisely I, what it is the, that it does. The rawness the of it, it I feel like it's just the pure, like, raw... Brutality. It's almost a documentary. It's, like it yeah. feels very realistic when they're out looking for gas and they pick up a hitchhiker and they, you know, all that element of it is so believable and it, it gritty. It almost feels like some Driver's Ed movie from the seventies. And the fact that Toby Hooper, like he actually, like I mean, they worked their asses off on yeah. that movie, like 12, 16 hour days because of budget constraints. Yeah. Like he, I mean, they made that whole movie in what, what less than thirty days, I yeah. think. Yeah. I mean, they were just like in the exhausted. summertime yeah. in Texas. That's and, what is real. And, uh, just outside Austin, Texas, yeah. and it, I mean, it, you can like, visit the gas station yeah. now. It's very doubtful to me. I hear it's not that good a barbecue. This is point that too. Yeah. Um, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But if you haven't. It is everything everybody says it is. Especially yeah. if you want to get the sound design, just you watch that movie. Oh, production design too, yeah, just the weird stuff hanging from the from the <laughs> oh, ceiling yeah. and art um, direction and sound design. This movie is a ten. There is and there is nothing like on a thirty. The first time movie. Leatherface shows up in that movie. Oh yeah, it is. It is stunning. There's filmmaking. one thing that makes the the last Chainsaw movie worth watching, and that's Alexandra Daddario because. Oh, God. But she makes most. Of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, can't you think of anything. Yeah. <laughs> you love that girl. A massive she crush is, on her. Okay. Much to admire. Okay. Halloween. Yeah, you watch it. What was it? Really, the 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 <laughs> movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Chris is going to derail it. Uh, this whole podcast 
is now about her first. <laughs> so, True Detective. Let's talk about that. Episode five, I think it was. We all Nineteen know minutes the scene. in. We all know the scene. Um, Moving on to Halloween. But actually, this is, I think, the final girl. Yeah, movie. I think this. Like, is I think the if you're going to talk about final girl, you have to talk Halloween. about Halloween. Yeah. Laurie Strode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who? who has, Screen queen. This mo- so many aspects of this film has have influenced films that aren't even horror movies. True. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, but definitely horror. She became the model for for that final girl survivor for everything. Certainly through for the Friday the Thirteenth films. Mm-hmm. You know, even yeah. though they have the thing of like we have a survivor and they kill her almost immediately in the next films. Right. <laughs> you know, like which I always thought was just how cheap they were. They were no. just like we don't want to pay anybody to keep coming back. Have to pay them more. <laughs> not sure if I made this up or not. So <laughs> I need some fact check. But I could have sworn I read an article somewhere where John Carpenter said like this whole phenomenon is just like a coincidence. Like he doesn't like subscribe to like. I didn't do anything special. I just made a movie, and it's scary, and that's that. It could, he could have said I mean, something John totally Carpenter would yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah, but like, he, he completely disavowed, like, there's no, you know, final anything. It's just, I made a movie, See, and, and that's The that. reason I always disagree with something like that, and I feel like, um, in a lot of ways, you know, Carpenter almost tries to downplay, I think, but they have um, the scene in Halloween um, where she's in the classroom, and they're discussing, I think it's Rebirth, or... The season, and it's very, there's so much theme and subtext in that that isn't necessarily as on the nose or as apparent in the rest of the movie. And I can tell he's always thinking of things like that. So I can totally see, like, he's a smart enough scholar of film that he knows kind of what's up. I read an interview where But I do think a lot of the the ramifications, he's probably unaware that it would ever go there. I read an interview where he actually said that Michael Myers is supposed to be the feminine character in this, and that that Laurie Strode is the masculine character, and that together they have uh, they what they have in common is this shared sexual repression. Um, they're both impotent in a way, and so that's why he said that when um, Laurie's just sexually frustrated and taking out all of her that energy out on Michael Myers. Huh. That's uh, so. So but, Michael Myers so is really the victim Car- in this Carpenter movie. Carpenter, just, <laughs> Carpenter can't keep it straight, right? Yeah. He's clearly the innocent <laughs> here. Though he's the he's just trying party. to hang out, you know, <laughs> have a good Halloween. Hey, what's up, sis? <laughs> Ow, my These eye. obnoxious teenagers uh, ruin everything. I know. Yeah, they keep flaunting their erections <laughs> in my face, and yeah. I get angry. I think Everybody. when I think of slasher horror, the first thing that pops in my head is him sitting up behind the couch, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that movie. Just that dunk when the music starts again. That moment may have been the scariest moment in horror movies at that point in time. This is obvious, like to me, the most. Common Copied like movie period when mm-hmm. it comes to the genre, like yeah, everybody this copies like, this. Classic. But what sucks about that is it really hurt the Halloween movies because it's like, oh, it's like you do something fresh and original, and it's like, and now you're just copied to nothing, and, and like. Oh, watching the slow walk Halloween killer movie. with the music, dun, 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 dun. you you have that in your head. You're like, this is terrifying. Then everybody rips you off for ten years, and yeah. it's like now your brand is devalued, and that sucks. Uh, and because it was a great movie. Couldn't have gotten more devalued than when Rob Zombie, who clearly didn't understand a thing about what made Halloween scary, decided to remake it twice, <laughs> and, and they're both so bad. You're like, no, didn't you listen to what Patton Oswalt said about that bag of rock salt? <laughs> you can't like. You, you you don't want to know all the details because then it's not scary anymore. 100%. You know, like, hey, look, he's he Michael Myers' favorite baseball player. I went to know. <laughs> he 
he's the only thing there's a reason he was called the shape you know more often than not he is absolutely well and 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 that's what we need to know Loomis very much does explain him he said he was you know I spent 10 years trying to to reach him I spent 10 years trying to keep him in and that's what more do you need than that that's hearsay your honor uh, speculation nobody knows better than I do there's nothing there except pure evil and that's like the scariest thing imaginable right like yeah it's incomprehensible you can't appeal to his humanity because he doesn't have any you know why would you add on to that Mm-hmm. But even Carpenter in the later movies, he, tr- you know, like, for example, H2O, you know, there's that moment where they're, like, trying to, like, she's trying to plead with them and be like, you know, you know you're my brother, and he stops. But that's not Carpenter. Carpenter didn't make H2O? Oh, no, that's any uh, uh, Sean Cunningham. Oh, you Steve, guys are good. Steve Miner? Uh, I think he, was a Steve Miner? He, he directed Miner. the first one, he produced the second one, and who, I think who, co-wrote the second who, one. And then he directed the... Th- did he direct the third one? How no, three? no, that no, that's uh, Rick Rosenthal. Which Season is, of the Witch? Which is yeah. given a total bad rap for the record. <laughs> I love Season, Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch. I love all of them because I saw them when I was a child. I absolutely hated Season of the Witch. Except for Halloween, I watched it Well, you're just wrong. You are out. 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 Out of the podcast. You don't like. I like also the picture. Of course, these two idiots. The one thing I like it. about the Rob Zombie ones is like that Michael Myers is fucking massive. Like Taylor Maine is there a is big a, dude. Yeah, that is very kind. There isn't anything I like about those. But movies, I love so. like I mean when you watch him stab somebody in those, it's like it's such a violent process where the knife's going <laughs> through a table through your body. I'm like, man. That's how Michael Myers should stab somebody. Yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of... I Just mean, saying. we saw that he, in Friday the 13th. He does all right in the, in the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> he kills the shit out of some people. Nah, he kills him better. He yeah. kills him better. I still say Friday Friday 13th best kill is the the getting the couple as they're having yeah, sex. Through the neck. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, come on, that was awesome. But like, he was underneath the bed so quiet. <laughs> you couldn't get how do you get that angle on the blade? You couldn't get any more like that slasher film thing of like like that that's, whole don't um, have sex than him literally killing a couple while they're um, having that sex. That was Under a, the bed. Tom Savini, right? Which, uh, uh, yes, who did the bulk of the Friday yeah, the 13th movies. He's even genius. The, even the Friday the 13th films ended up satirizing that with Jason X where he gets trapped in a holodeck at one point and there's it's Camp Crystal Lake from the first movie and the two girls are going hey Jason do you want to come do drugs and have premarital sex <laughs> oh my god Jason X I didn't X. watch Jason X so. Jason X is worth watching wow that's when, yeah. when they're in outer space right? yeah, it's, and they're totally playing it for laughs yeah. you know I mean it was a, like you know come on him killing somebody with liquid nitrogen and then like splintering their skull that's kind of fun so speaking yeah. can we move on to the next Movie, sure. <laughs> Which are, speaking of Friday the 13th, well, I gonna... think that is our next movie, or is it Alien? Alien. Oh, well, they're Ooh. not necessarily in order, but yeah. Friday the 13th would definitely be, uh, like, since we Now, this is, there. well, Alien and Friday the 13th, that's what they have in common, is it's female on female violence. At least to start with. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we're talking about the original. When we say Friday yeah, 13th, the 13th, which I think sounds like a catch-all yeah. for the series. Oh, it makes me laugh talking about if you're ever at a trivia thing, and some that's always... Every trivia thing ever has the question, who was the killer in Friday the 13th? Right. Because 99% of the people are going to say, well, it's Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees, no. It was just no. One. But we all learned that from Scream, though. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's literally the beginning of Scream. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all were, like, yelling that at the screen. Yeah, we're like, oh, God, what are we're you, stupid? <laughs> You deserve yeah. to die. He didn't even put on the hot until part three. That's right. <laughs> you know? 
That's weird to think about. That hockey mask wasn't even associated with Jason until the third movie. <laughs> is, it, is it the third or yeah, is it the, the third, third movie? Oh, it's the 3D one. And yeah. that's another thing between Friday the 13th which, and, and, and Alien, which came out like one like barely just six or eight months apart from each other is that there's also that theme of motherhood between the two because the queen in alien is she's just protecting her eggs you know she's just trying to breed and here come these miners fucking our shit up and killing her babies you know what i mean so who's the bad guy in alien so yeah yeah, I mean, like, I guess. So Ellie's like, just trying to kick it. It's like, these, 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 like, hey, I was keep here it first. chill. This is my, you know? This is my like, I immigrated to the spaceship yeah, there in the square, and now you're trying to kick me out. I didn't mess with you guys. You guys I had my visa in line. That's right, I was doing all right, you know? <laughs> and then on Friday 13th, obviously, the motherhood is, is a little bit more deranged, but. So, funny thing is, a buddy of mine, well, actually, a couple of buddies of mine, they made a movie with uh, Adrian King in it, and she said she stopped acting acting completely after this because of like the harassment she would get like from like you know emails and facebook and everything else and and even before like that was even around like she just couldn't do anything because the, the fans were so rabid trying to like get to know her no more about her and she just stopped acting and dropped off like, wow. the face of the earth and she has a winery called uh, like Crystal Lake Wines or something. That's like that. hilarious. So, but so it's still, kind of still trying to market. Yeah, it's yeah. so, interesting that it's like I don't like all the fans, but yet. Drink my wine. Right. Labeled after so, the character. Gonna milk, we're going to milk <laughs> yeah. it. I think of all the genres, more people have retired from acting after horror movies than <laughs> any other, probably. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Although the love interest from Fletch lives in Austin. I found that out. What? Yeah, Ooh. the girl who was the love interest in the Is she movie? single? Sorry. I have no idea. <laughs> she's a little, not that I care. She's I'm a little older. I am engaged, not me. She's also hey. a lot older. How many, how many people <laughs> ask her if they can borrow her towel because they just hit a water bottle? <laughs> <laughs> I'd just love to come to her door and go, Hi, yeah. my name's Mr. Babar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> steak sandwich and steak sandwich. Okay, back on track. All right, sorry. sorry. <laughs> We're not talking about Fletch Back today. to Final Girl. All these stupid nerd girls. tangents. Well, Let's get on it. Since we're doing sort of Friday the 13th and Alien at the same time, one of the things that I absolutely think sets Ripley apart from all the others is she starts out as a strong, badass person. Yeah, I, I don't mean, think she's a Final Girl, though. I mean, yeah. I don't think she is. Debated. I mean, does she, I mean, she's sort of... In, in Aliens, she has the transformative journey as it, being a mother herself mm-hmm. to Newt, but in the first one... Well, but she, I would say she makes that transformative journey in the first one as well in a more mm. traditional sense. Right. Because she's just a member of the crew. When she, but she first, start out as the leader. Like, think she's One of the charge. differences is an alien... Unlike most slasher films, we have no idea who the survivor is going to be in that film. Like, when you first watch it, you, if you didn't already know that that was going to be a whole thing, like, you would never heard of Sigourney Weaver or the Alien films, you would have no idea who was going to live at the right, end of that Right, I movie. would agree with that. Um, and I think that's very intentional, and we watch her going from someone who's just as terrified as somebody else, who starts coming up with plans and start realizing, if I'm going to get out of this, I'm going to have to swallow my fear and come up with a way to get rid of this I mean, thing. I don't okay. even know. It's that. more like desperation. She definitely uh, makes choices. It is interesting, as far as the sexual element, at the end of the movie, that's the one time we see her stripped down into her underwear, and, and that's the only real kind of nudity in the film. Yeah, whatever. she's is very at the end, boyish. She's very masculine. Yeah, well, well they're all know, Sigourney Weaver was pretty one. gorgeous in that movie. But she is definitely a more... It's The, the sexual element is missing from most of that movie. Until we get to kind of the end when that's she's true. But, that's a really good yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, there I think there is no sexual. There isn't. Everybody's very. I mean, 
She and definitely has that romance between her there's, and There's what's an implication of something going on but with her in Dallas, nothing, but yeah. I don't really think that there is none of that's actually explored or up front or, or confirmed. She does she is the lone voice of reason. She does sort of have that thing where she says, We're not gonna open the ship. We're not gonna let her in. That's not how we do it, and Dallas says, Open the ship, do it. And I think someone else opens the ship against her her judgment. And, um, it was the, ro- the robot. Yeah, that's right. It's home. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the droid, sorry. But um, <laughs> as a fu- I think it's uh, very different. Because I think in the, in, the, in the first one, she's not necessarily as proactively uh, like a fighter. Go right. But, but here's the thing about the first one is they aren't making excuses for her in the script. Like when you watch a slasher movie... They purposely separate characters. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the men are over here. Oh, this guy's banging this girl. Oh, they separate everybody out purposely. Yeah. In Alien, they don't do that. Everyone's confined to an area, and it's up to your own instincts based on who you are as a character to how you're going to deal with this event. And that's why I don't think this is a final girl moment because you actually don't see these these tropes playing out. You don't see, like, everyone's separate, someone's dying over here, so no one's going to have to deal with that. In this movie, you deal with death in your face as you get to the next room and you hit the airlock. Boom. Mm. Holy shit, what happened? Regroup. So for you, not a Final Girl movie. Not a Final Girl movie okay. at all. Because- uh, I, I, to address that, I want to actually read, I think, the best piece I've, I've read about Ripley from uh, writer John Scalzi. He's written this book called Red Shirts I keep meaning to read. I hear his great, oh, yeah, yeah. but oh, I've not gotten good. around to it. But he's the film critic and president of the Sci-Fi and Fantasy Writers of America. He wrote about Ripley. She's not a side kick, arm candy, or damsel to be rescued. Starting with Alien, Ripley was a fully competent member of a crew or ensemble. Not always liked and sometimes disrespected, but doing her job at the same. Uh, As each film progresses, she comes to the fore and faces challenges head-on. She's the hero of the piece. In other words, Ripley isn't a fantasy version of a woman. Sci-fi film is filled with hot, kick-ass women doing impossible things with guns and melee weapons while they spin about like a gymnast in a dryer. As fun as that is to watch, at the end of the day, it's still giving women short shrift, since what they are then is idealized killer fembots rather than actual human beings. Ripley, on the other hand, is pushy, aggressive, rude, injured, suffering from post-traumatic syndrome, not wearing makeup, tired, smart, maternal, angry, empathetic, and determined to save others, even at great cost to herself. All without being a spinny killbot. So she's not a final girl. She's just a hero. But I would call mm-hmm. her an art, an evolution of that. Character. I agree I think so she much. She starts as a final girl, and I think it, like mm. that the, as the films go on, she evolves from that into some see, into a straight up hero. See, my, my thing is with this is that she was actually one of the first takes that like we're all humans and we're all fucking equal. Yeah, mm-hmm. like she's That's like not. I'm not trying to say like other films weren't that, but this to me is I didn't look at her as like ooh. Because you got to think, when these movies came out, I was a kid. And it's like, yeah. you're watching movies and you're like, oh, I want to watch that hot girl be the... Fi-. This was not that. I'm watching But you never think of her as like a victim. No. Yeah. I don't look at her as a victim. I don't look at her as like, oh, that's that hot girl with the see-through. I, I don't look at that. I look at her as a human being who has the same problems and plight as the rest of the crew does. And she finds a way to survive. And this movie was transcendent for that. And there's an interesting discussion to be had about Alien Resurrection, which I know is not everybody's favorite Alien I liked movie, Alien Resurrection. I personally, see, I like okay. shitty movies I'm, too, boys. I'm like, not shitty. I'm like, <laughs> seven, for you. I'm like she, 70, did a good job. I'm like 70, welcome, 30 welcome positive on Alien Resurrection. <laughs> well, what, but, also but, just but, great, 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 great. Yeah, but, yeah, but, great but Resurrection is kind of her 
passing on the final girl mantle to somebody new, to someone who is See, very much a I'm final girl I'm not sure I agree character. with that, because someone said that is not actually a human character. Yeah, but in every way, except that she android. technically is an I mean, android, she's human. There's you know? definitely a debate, I guess. They even like make a big thing. It's like, how come you're so emotional and everything? It's like, oh, I'm like a aberration. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I read that, too, but I, I don't know. I guess I felt like, yeah, she's not a human. Although, I technically, I don't think Ripley's a human in that movie, either. Mm-hmm. Not... No, I think right? she's actually a replicator. She's like a hybrid. Yeah, at that point, she's a hybrid. Few, yeah. At that point, she is a spinny kill Yeah, bot. no, she's like a clone, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 She's so. a super clone. And is she, is she a girl mean, at all? That was written by Joss Whedon, correct? Yeah, yeah. although they have Ish. Ish. Yeah. yeah, it was it was written and rewritten. This is one of those rare movies where I actually French. didn't mind yeah. Winona Ryder's <laughs> terrible acting. She's Word. getting stranger. So I think we're split down the middle on this one, huh? On <laughs> uh, <and> Ripley. <laughs> I, you know what? Do you guys I think, think you guys I'm have changed my too. mind. I, I I agree with Phil. I don't you think, think she's, she's a hero. final girl. I just do don't think, think she is. I, I think she was an alien, and I think she. I think Aliens is all about that evolution to her becoming the more fully realized. I agree with that, and I would say I would agree that you can, or at least for me, you can put her in the final girl in Alien in so much as we sort of put that in the horror category, I always think of it more I think it's sci-fi. A, it's a self-conscious. But I, I think that a lot of how we view horror. Ripley is viewed through the prism of Aliens. Yes. And it very much, that that's the way we view her in Alien is through that character, James Cameron's Agreed. version. And so she is definitely not a final girl in that. <laughs> Wait, everybody, Phil. Phil has something to say. I got my hand raised. Yeah. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> Phil, the reason I... First time caller? First time... Long time listener. First time caller. I felt like at that moment, though, like the teacher is like, you got that one student who always has I that hand raised. It's like, so funny. Anybody? I was using my other arm to, like, steady my raised arm anybody? to make sure I didn't run out All right, blood. fine, Philip. Here's the reason I really don't feel that is because... The killer is not a man or a woman. It is a, a xenophile. It's an alien, which is just as terrifying for a man to experience that death as a woman to because you don't know the strength of that being that's killing you. Mm-hmm. And to me, for that very reason alone, I was equally as afraid for the men as I was for the women so, when watching that movie. It was not like, oh, it's a man. It's a fair fight. It's like, no, it's a fucking alien with acid blood and a projectile fucking extra set of teeth that can rip through you and a face-hugging thing that can get you when you're not paying attention. So it was equally as fearful for a man as a woman. It's probably got so a dunk in there somewhere. So the question then, if the alien wasn't an alien, let's say it was just like a space dude, would she be a final girl then? Like just like a yeah, human being like a, or like space a, if he, if he was she's a you was my bloody Valentine with a fucking hose <laughs> oh, to an air pack? If, yeah. if it was still if it was totally too. humanoid but had extendable teeth and something, yeah, would it have like that it was, been different? If it was more, it was, no, it was no, no, more it's got to be a fair fight. It's got to be a fair fight for a man. Michael Myers is in a fair fight. Well, yeah, he is. he started off as a fair fight. He changed into not a fair fight. Neither is Freddy. Neither is Jason. None of them are fair fights. They all they all have supernatural. Getting of acid blood and exploding teeth. Speaking of Freddy, that's where Phil draws the line. Yeah, you got acid blood. I'm done. All right, we got to move on here. Speaking of Freddy. That's our next movie, actually, is Nightmare on Elm Street, which I guess that's our first, like, truly, like, ethereal sort of... Yeah. ...of antagonist. Yeah, really. I mean, Mike Myers is arguably supernatural. 
becomes more supernatural as the series yeah, continues. Same with but same with Jason. Freddy, there's just nothing. I mean, you, how do you fight your your dreams? That's why this was when it came out the scariest thing I'd ever seen. Agreed. I, really? I can't. I was so terrified by this movie when I watched it that on body video tape by myself at house at, in my house at night. Mine yeah, was well, uh, Johnny Depp in the in the water bed. Into the bed. Yeah, being like drowning in the water bed it's was the most dreamlike moments that scare me the most in this. There's a scene where she falls asleep in class at school while someone is reading up in front of the class yeah, and their voice scene. just kind of fades out to a whisper um, and they just stop and you're like that was just so wow that was really like something that happens man. in a dream and I found it so scary if we ever do do a um, episode on the trilogies on the third of a series Dream Warriors is my absolute hands down <laughs> favorite nightmare they do something cool with I with love the, Dream the, Warriors so the wizard guys. that guy sucked yeah <laughs> And getting that guy. And getting Doc in the He had an awesome, <laughs> like, death by wheelchair. Yeah. That was so cool. Mad Max wheelchair I, kills him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, but Nancy, I think, Nancy's. is the example of the first time in a horror film we see a director creating a final girl character that, that is indirectly. He's very conscious of the trope and trying to do that, something that, that different. That was going to be something I was going to bring up was, was Craven is a very intelligent guy and. The final girl had academic, I think. yeah, and the final girl had started to sort of be a thing at this. It had been around long enough that it seems like a trope he could have identified. So it does seem like there is a little bit of, of uh, like I was saying, an ethereal intent to to change that genre or, or that genre trope and sort of move it forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a reaction to yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, and Nancy con- continues to evolve in the way he started in the series. I mean, I always thought it was such a mistake to kill her off in the series. I was like, really? Because this seems like a character you want to keep coming back to. Yeah, I mean, she makes a, like, Especially a brief when you see. appearance in three, right? Uh, yes. So doesn't she make a brief she appearance? She dies in two and, and comes back in three. She comes well, no, back she in- didn't appear in two at all. She was. Yeah, really she right. wasn't. She, she came back in three as like a counselor. She's to one the, of my the main characters. Yes. Right. And um, helped teaches them to fight back she, in their dreams. She sacrifices and, herself yeah. essentially. In but the then third she one. really. But then in the, we have a new nightmare where she's like the actress. Well, she's not even Nancy anymore. She's Heather Langley, yeah. the actress yeah, playing. Which her. I mean. I, I, that's Speaking what, of final girl movies, right? Yeah. I, Craven just always likes to. I think he pushes the envelope. I think he does good things. With, but you also. But at the same time, it's like how much control do you have over a sequel when a studio bought you and yeah. owns you and whatnot, and you've got to make something. So maybe he wanted to put her in there. You never know. If I remember yeah, correctly, uh, New Nightmare, he had already seen the bare bones of the outline for Scream at that point, that that already existed. Oh, so that but there was something going on with like another studio was interested or somebody else, and it was like kind of in development hell. And this was kind of his, like, well, I, I'm, I want to do something like that. And then later he got to do Scream, of course. But you watch New Nightmare, and you're like, this is clearly the proto-Scream. Yeah, he's he's obviously thinking about, like, in a meta fashion, about the horror genre and that the characters are self-aware of what's happening in, in their own horror movie. Yeah. So... But uh, Langenkamp is uh, fascinating as just an actress in horror, that she's one of the few people that has sort of made a career out of her role in this film. Oh, yeah. Like, she has... She like, hasn't done anything else but be Nancy. Pretty Fashion. much. Well, she's been in some other small uh, films. Just the ten, ten of us. The ten of us. Thank um, you. Yeah. Uh, but, but she, like, just <laughs> produced and was involved with the directing of a massive 
uh, the history of the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. It's like what a three and a half oh, hour, yeah. four hour yeah, yeah, yeah. affair uh-huh. about, which is really good and totally worth watching. And she wrote a book about it. And like, I mean, she goes on a speaking tour appearances where she's not just signing things; she's talking about the phenomenon of the final girl in horror and her place in the series. And she's okay. really this is a, her job. Very smart and 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 has fully gone. Well, this is going to be my highest watermark in history. So I'm just going to ride this thing out, which is what exactly what I would do. And she's a great final girl. And the house is still there from Final uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's still there. Is it? In LA. You can just drive there and see it. It's still there. It makes an appearance in Leslie Vernon. It does make an appearance in Leslie Vernon. It's still there. That's true. I forgot about Whenever that. Whenever I'm in the neighborhood, everybody's like, hey, you want to go see the house in Nightmare on Elm Street? I'm like, yes, I do. I was so irritated. What neighborhood is it? Fuck, it's... In, I, Elm Street? I, yeah. I'm not really on Elm Street. <laughs> I will find this out for you because I'm never driving. Whereas yeah. the Amityville house is still there, but the owners got rid of the windows, the oh, iconic no. windows. And they got, what? Right. They got rid they got. I know. I was like, why? And it's would like, you, you know do what? That? We had a pool in the backyard, but fuck it. We're done with it. Like, right. that's what your house is worth is those windows. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, why would I you get rid of them? I think it's up for sale right now, the Amityville house. Is it really? well, there are yeah. two different things, too. Of course, there's the actual Amityville house, which does exist just as I don't want the actual one. But then the movie. The one, yeah. from the, then the one from the movie is the one that people always show up and like take yeah. pictures, and I'm sure that's why they were, like got rid of the windows. They're like tired of people wandering onto their property to take photos. I, I love it. Yeah, exactly. All right, so moving on from Nightmare on Elm Street, we of course we talked a little bit before about Hellraiser, which I feel like is kind of for the like the golden age of the uh, of the, the uh, late eighties or yeah, rather the silver tail, age. The tail end this is of kind of the age, silver yeah. age, I guess, yeah. of the <laughs> of the age. of the final girl slasher is Kirsty Cotton um, from Hellraiser, who I feel like is more that character in the second film than she is in the first film, the final girl character, because in the first film she's almost. Like a tertiary character who yeah, comes back into really the yeah. story. Yeah. In part two, I mean, and she's really also only one driven, of the girls to get whacked. True. Yeah. She's also driven by like that sort of motherly thing that we see, you know, out of you know Ripley because there's a little girl who's mentally disabled and mm-hmm. and she gets caught in the in the I don't know world of the Cenobites, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she she gets. And wouldn't wouldn't we say? I guess yeah. The the. The sequel, or Hellraiser 2, I guess, is that's the beginning of Hellraiser becoming more of just another horror sequel, sort of hitting all those beats, whereas Hellraiser 1 is very much more of a Clive Barker yeah. sort of story. Uh, whereas I agree with you, I actually like Hellraiser 2 better than Hellraiser 1. I saw Hellraiser 2 first, and so really? I, I actually yeah. preferred it, but now I think I prefer the first one. I don't know. I watched the first one, and it's definitely, it gets under your skin more. No, the literally. literally. Just- yeah. But Straight it's so gross. ooky. You're like, oh god! Just this con- conceptual stuff I in there is so it. nasty. And, is- and I'll give it extra points as well for just some of the the, the special effects they conceived of doing. We're like, you've never seen anything like that in a horror movie. But I love world building. I love world building. And I love stuff, especially when it's Lovecraftian. And the second movie was the first yeah. movie yeah. ever That's to really super, do that pretty yeah. well. The first you know? movie they go when, to hell? Julia, yeah. when Julia's kissing like a flayed skinned Frank in the first movie, like that was like... That's super That's creepy. the part but I who just... among us hasn't done that? <laughs> <laughs> that 
for me was an iconic moment. Interesting. It's, it's probably, yeah, the most memorable moment. in the, I, I That mean, and the, the ripping of the... I don't know about yeah, you guys, but after th- seeing three, I was like, yeah, I don't need to watch any more Hellraiser movies. I haven't movies. seen any after three. Three is terrible. That's the DJ one, uh, right? Yeah, it's so that bad. Was, that's and apparently they on now. It's like Bloodlines. There's like, like eight, eight or nine, nine yeah, of them. On, Who's on. still watching them? But apparently one of them <laughs> later on, Kirsty comes back, Kirsty Cotton comes back, and now she's a bad guy. She's uh, collecting souls to feed to the the Hellraisers. For well, I mean, I mean she reason. has questionable morals, even though the she first does. one. I mean, the humans are really the bad guys in this. You know, Julia and Frank, they're the monsters. The Cenobites are just doing their job. They're a force of nature. Yeah, yeah, they're just like, hey, this is what we do. You're like, you open the box. Sorry, dude. Yeah, We're going to yeah. have to show they're, you they're what the pain we have, you know. But when so when Kirsty opens up the box, she's just like, hey, sorry, didn't mean to do that. I was just trying to figure out what was going on, but uh, hey. Hey, you really want Frank because he escaped. I, I will say right now, I think Hellraiser is the only horror genre that totally does deserve and could use a absolute reboot remake. I feel like you could start from the beginning of Hellraiser with the intent of knowing that you were going to make it sort of like at least like a trilogy of films. Like we're doing this like a fantasy universe. And it would be amazing With if you had the right special people. Effects, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is very strange that of, out of all these iconic horror movies that keep getting remade, this is the one nobody's gotten to yet in, yeah. in a really meaningful way. It's surprising. And would would I benefit from yeah, it? I, I wonder if that's just because they're going to keep turning out crappy sequels. Who knows? Hmm. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen this in forever. Like, when I was a kid, I used to watch them all the time, but uh, Julia and Frank, were they her parents? Well, it was her stepmother and uncle, um, because they kill her father. The stepmother is having an affair. And then Frank takes her father's skin and And puts it on. As one does. In a supremely creepy sequence where, after he's taken her skin, he starts grabbing her and, you know, in a sexual way. And it's like, no, it's not her dad's or uncle, which is still still creepy. creepy, but, But it's even creepier when he's wearing her dad's skin, you know. Yeah, so it's just her stepmother yeah. and her uncle. I always remember like watching this when I was a child, like because so many years ago. As a child, as a child, that's how we all started yeah. out. Well, we watch. I, I it's seen, very formative. <laughs> I have not seen this movie when I was, since I was very young. Yeah, you know what? It's worth it's worth looking at it again. I, I, I really want great, to, and it's really we were talking about earlier about about budgets and stuff. It's definitely a movie that. That figures out a way to tell an interesting story. One of the most interesting things about Clive Barker, though, is like his Book of Bloods, his short stories Uh are amazing. And he's one of the actual few gay writers in the genre next to like Jeffrey Reddick, the guy who did Final Destination. There are like very few like gay writers in this genre. Yeah. And so I find it very interesting. I want to go back and watch it again and maybe look at it from that Final Girls perspective. So he's one of those yeah. writers he started so strong that Stephen King called him the literally, quote, the future of horror. Yeah. And somewhere along the way he just lost his way. I, I've read some of his recent stuff, you're like, This is not good. But the Book of Bloods were great. Like Book all the short Blood stories great. were great. Yeah. yeah. Cabal was great. Cabal I mean, was Nightbreed is still gonna be one of my Nightbreed. all time Nightbreed. favorite love, movies. Love so Weave World absolutely blew my mind. I loved Weave World, but then great. his fantasy after that was not so good. See, I like I mean, I like Clive Barker movies. God, I, I Maybe read, we should do a Barker episode. Then we have to watch all the Clive Barker yeah. movies. Yeah. I don't and know if I could it's, sit it's through. my revenge on you guys making you watch all the Cronenberg. I don't know if I could sit through Lord of Illusions again. But you know what blows my mind though? Like, do you ask Tolkien to you know produce another world for you? I mean, like he made one world. Yeah. <laughs> Be happy. Yeah. He made Middle Earth. Move on. That's true. 
times. How many worlds does Clyde have to make for you? All right, we're near an hour. Yeah, yeah, we should. And I kind of want to like run just, through real quick. Just, just and kind of go back, like end on sort of the meta modern yeah, stuff that's to the talk next about briefly. Step for sure, which I feel like the start of all that was behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. Yeah. That was kind of the first of the metas in a lot of ways. I, well, I think Scream was. Scream. was well, no, no, okay, Scream, but there was a big break between that. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But Scream, you had to be smart. And the Scream films that were like, I think Scream films killed meta for a while. Yeah. Because the fact they made four, three sequels to it, and people were like, we are so fucking sick of this. Yeah. Yeah. And then Leslie Vernon comes along and is like, oh, how refreshing. It's It's such a great movie. I mean, it's conceptually, it's kind of a ripoff of Man Bites Dog, but it does something so different with it, you don't care. You actually are right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the French film. 100% Man Bites Dog. Which Man Bites Dog is a super creepy, like, like... in French, film. and I'm going to go hurt some people. And, and, and that in of itself was kind of a remake of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in its own way. A new take mm. on it, you know. Yeah. Um, but, like, definitely Behind the Mask is the one that is the most about, like, hey, here's a character who lives in a world where Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers are real real killers. And this guy who wants to be this new killer is talking to journalists just saying, I know all this stuff and these killers, and here's what you got to do if you want to be in that league and I'm setting out to do that and a guy talking about all these same things we've been talking about horror movie tropes in a way as if that was all real life like yeah, those things aren't girl, here's my red yeah, those aren't things that make movies work they're things that make serial killers work right. yeah. you know and that's a cardio very neat important. idea and I will, I will say I, I actually did not see the twist coming isn't that hilarious I was oh not ready God. for that twist when okay. it turns around you're like and I was like that was pretty and, clever uh, Robert, Robert right. England is his Dr. Loomis yeah, of course and um, which there's a petition going out right now for Robert England to be Dr. Loomis in a new Halloween that's um, interesting I'd be for that so yeah. I mean, I, for me, I was like, "Oh, I thought he already was," and then I was confused because it was Leslie Vernon, where mm-hmm. he was like, you know, the the director of an insane asylum, where Leslie Vernon was sent to after he was killed by the town. Hmm. Um, he was set on fire. Or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. But it, it's the whole meta concept is so great in this movie because we have our survivor girl. I think that's what they call her: is survivor girl, I not think final so. girl. Yeah, but same uh, thing. The survivor girl is she really the survivor girl? No. Well, that's it's right when these characters decide in the movie. No, no, we can't. We can't just sit by and let this happen. We have to get involved. And then suddenly they change the entire narrative, not realizing that the narrative was never what they thought it was in the first place. It's such a great spin. Such a great spin. We're getting a sequel. And I think that, or I'm sorry, a prequel. The the only thing that bothers me about that is that that character then can. Tint goes on to do some of the stupid shit she's been warned exactly not to do. Thank you for bringing that up. Because, <laughs> you know. like, she literally knows every step of Leslie Vernon's plan, and she still falls she for it. She just goes through it, yeah. My favorite part of that is uh, when someone's hiding in the closet with the uh, the slats uh-huh. in the actual uh, door. <laughs> he goes, us, you know, serial killers, we're scared of these things. We, got, we can't, like, quite go into them. We have to walk by them a couple times, and then, you know, <laughs> then maybe we build the confidence to actually go and grab them. But at first, we have walk by. Or the peripheral vision of <laughs> yeah. the mask. Like, well, we can't really see. See yeah, the other side. So, you know. Or like, we 
I do cardio because walking really slowly is, and then catching up to you when you look back, like it's hard to do that. It's, is it's the pleasure funny. of this movie the meta ness of it? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's Absolutely. is there I mean, a way to take it seriously, like as a movie? Well, I think it was the it's never first scary. one that yeah. really took the tropes to heart and really the this Leslie Vernon. I feel like it was really the first one. It's a comedy so, analysis of horror. It's a way yep. of talking about all the tropes See, in for horror. Me, screams, was, screams more effective. Like I feel like what Scream does with that just. The way it plays with, uh, they know what you're not supposed to do based on horror movies. In horror movies, these are the rules, and but it still functioned as a horror movie. Like I controversially, still, I will agree with you. Yeah, this a lot is of more people of a will go, "Fuck Scream!" I'm like, really? That's just because you're tired of the sequels and the television I agree, show. I agree with you. The too. first Scream, I think, is a great movie. I if you really have, if you've never seen it, I, I saw that thing like opening night. It blew me away. The crowd was freaking out. It's one of the best horror because it movies actually does function as a horror movie. Yeah, and it's, it's, and just, it's just the one movie. that really I feel like gets the post modern but keeps it as a movie and I think very few movies that are self-aware walk that line in a way I think that because that movie like manages to get its audience off their feet by saying yeah we already know the rules and the things you're expecting and now we're taking that comfort blanket away from you by these characters even being aware of things well not only that but every twist in the movie like I don't see coming I didn't you don't guess who the killer is mm-hmm. in Scream I didn't I didn't know I was like oh wow and why things were happening and that you know the killers were aware of it's them it's always Skeet Ulrich for the record <laughs> always always Skeet Ulrich what I liked about Scream though was uh you weren't aware. You knew the tropes, but when you're watching, maybe you just like forget about them, yeah. and it made you actually face them and right. go, "This is in your face." With Leslie Vernon, it's just a comedy the entire way through that's making fun of the tropes, and, and not like in a lampoon way where it's like people like hitting doors and whatnot, but in a very fun way. Mm-hmm. And so it, it made it very watchable, and it's not scary at all. But it's hilarious. But it's much more about those tropes. It's about making more movies. It's more about the tropes than it's about horror. Scream used... Academic. Russ was like, it's very... Remember when Russ came home? It's very academic. (laughs) Russ was like, it's very academic. (laughs) It's great. I love it. But in a funny way. I I loved it. You know? I mean, it's it's for people who already love horror films. Scream isn't necessarily. It's for people who have seen horror movies but don't necessarily love them. I think nobody who any anybody who doesn't totally adore horror movies isn't going to be that interested in Leslie Vernon, yeah. quite frankly. Uh, but like, just give me the, the Cabin in the Woods. I feel like is one of those like okay, obviously they significantly bring up those tropes of the characters in Slasher and the Final Girl, but it's not really the point of the thing specifically. The Final Girl thing that's almost just a side note. To I think this. that's more just about all of the horror it's about, tropes. It's about and, horror in general. And, yeah, about horror in there general. There's supposed to one thing in that movie that. I can't stand that pisses me off every single time. The merman? And no, no, I love the merman. <laughs> they, they spoil ahead of time the fact that Chris Hemsworth is going to die when he jumps across the canyon. There's absolutely no reason to I, show you ahead I, of time. I totally disagree. It was completely effective for me. I, I totally did not see it coming. I agree and disagree. I knew he was going to die, but it was equally. I, I don't. I thought it would have been so much better if you don't know there's a force shield there until that. No, moment I think they had to say that. But, but my well, thing is, I, I agree I, and disagree. Like. Watch him go, oh, watch how hard he hits that port shield. Was equally as satisfying uh, for me. I mean, because he nails it and flies that's down. That's the only thing I don't like about that movie. My Everything favorite else part I love. was that the killer's name was Patience. <laughs> of course. Uh, but then, like, of course, I think, like, when you're talking about the the ultimate meta on The Final Girl, is the, the Final Girls. The Final Girls. Have yeah. you guys, uh, Summers Brothers, have you all both seen this? I've seen it. I have not seen it. It's fun. Totally it's worth so watching. Uh, it's, I mean, it's not like a masterpiece of horror comedy. I still think the best. Uh, I know people argue about it, but the, my favorite modern horror comedy is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. It's great. Oh, really? I love oh, Sean. Amazing. Uh, Sean the Dead. Well, that's uh, way better. I love Sean yes. the Dead, too, but 
There's Tucker, Tucker and Dale, Dale I keep coming back to over and over again because, Why are they because of those characters. <laughs> I'm going to have to revisit I want to see those friends. guys. <laughs> I want to see those characters come back again um, so bad. These, these kids are committing suicide? Oh, sorry. <laughs> he just jumped he just into jumped it. He well, just killed himself right in front of me. Why would he do that? <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, the final sorry, girls, so great. Th- Thaisa Farmiga, who's already known at this point from American Horror Story being the first couple seasons of that, is her mom, Malin Ackerman, was a big horror movie screen queen actress who's who's died before this movie starts, you know, from normal causes, mind you. Uh, and she got talked by her friends into going to see a special re-release of her mom's old 80s slasher film, and they get... You know, a la Purple Rose of Cairo, I, I, kind of. They get sucked. I went last action hero. Yeah, last yeah. action hero. She, she get the, she and her friends get sucked into the world of this bad '80s slasher film, Camp Bloodbath, that her mom was in, and yet yeah, goes through all the like every single little slasher movie trip. My favorite moment being like, oh my god, why is everything black and white? Oh, we're in a flashback, <laughs> which they actually use. Later as on, as a way to get away from the killer, which is why it works as well. As My does, favorite but. part, there was a girl who's supposed to get naked. They literally put cooking mitts <laughs> duct taped onto her hand so she can't strip. Yeah. And whatnot. Yeah. It's like, quit trying to get naked. And she's and she, gonna die if you get naked. Don't you get it? If she and doesn't she wind up doing a whole bunch she, of Adderall and gets like all yeah, like just, just like fucked out of her mind? Yeah. It's and a she, clever movie. It's clever. And it really explores a lot of those. It's kind of the final world word on the final girl. I can't see how you could have more to say about it in a comedy meta sense than this movie finishes all exclamation points with. Yeah. yeah, this one it, it really is the last word. They tried to do a movie recently that uh, with um, oh, I'm blacking out her actress uh, actress name. I want to say Chloe Moretz or one of those. Oh no, it's uh, uh, the, the girl from girl? Mrs. Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the final girl. Oh, it's, it's, the problem is it's not, not that great a movie. It's, not a good it's movie. just like yeah. she's I, I couldn't make it ten she's minutes. A trained oh, killer. A yeah, movie. the idea is somebody's it's, trained her to kill the guys who are killers. Yeah, so that and they like yeah. Yeah, uh, Bre- Breslin, was, Breslin. Yeah, Ab- Abigail, Abigail Breslin. Man, like, I couldn't last ten minutes. It's very, it's I, very arty and pretty looking, and that's it. I inadvertent. I watched it thinking it was the other one. I did the same thing, and I was like, oh, it's the final girls. Nope, it's the Final Girl singular. And it's and not it's, good. It's not, a good, not good. And yeah. Skippable. But anyway, yeah, that pretty much is, is the, the show. Okay. Anybody have anything they want to add before we finish who's, off here? Who's your favorite, who's your favorite final girl? Ripley. For the Good record. Question. Ripley. Fuck you, Philip. Kirsty. She's not a real final girl. <laughs> no, I, but I She's I, awesome. Oh, Kirsty. Yes. Nancy. Nancy. Gotta go with Laurie Strode. Laurie OG. Yeah. Rob? Um. Very strong German last name. I don't know that I. Ha- I would. Yeah, I'd probably have to go with Laurie Strode. I just just. just Laurie Strode's my number two. Yeah. I, I will I say I think Halloween is is the first Halloween is just one of the scariest movies ever made. I just love that movie. Uh, it's so well made. There's like I've watched it so many times. Every time there's like it's one of those like friends who do birthday parties at the Alamo yeah. Draft House. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, the Tim League let us grab one of the 35 millimeter prints. There's a three out of five chance it's going to be Halloween. And yeah. I've, so I've seen it like two or three times just at one of those at somebody's birthday party. Yeah, and every matter. time I'm like, I don't care. I'll watch this again. Oh, it's yeah. a great movie. If he put that out, they're like, hey, we have Halloween in 35. It would be sold out. 
My hope is if, if these guys are truly trying to do a third movie, that they find a way to bring Jamie Lee Curtis back into it. That'd I be really great. Do. I would love to see that I'm happen. sure she's on the hit list. I'm sure she is. All right. Well, we will be back, I don't know, in a couple weeks, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, we will have to all decide what our next topic is. We don't. We haven't really... We have like a list of topics. Yeah. But if you guys Controversial have list. anything <laughs> specific that you're like, I would love to hear you do a whole show about this, feel free to let us know. Let us mm. know. But until then, uh, I guess keep screaming. And see which one of us survives. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be patient. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sucks.